Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, RenewalChicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. Well, good morning, Renewal. Let's try again. Good morning, Renewal. Thank you. It is good to see you all. I've missed you all, and, um, but I want to thank you for giving my family and I a rest, and we got away from here, and we got some good time together, but it is good to be back with our extended family here at our church, and I'm thankful that all, for all that God has been doing at our church. Many of you have probably not ever met me, and I'm excited about that, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you. You picked a good Sunday to be here at Renewal. Uh, we have a Connect class right after church. So you want to, if you didn't hear Tony earlier, you want to meet us right across the hallway in our library where we'll tell you all about what God is doing here at Renewal. You'll get to meet myself, um, some of our staff here at our church. So we look forward to meeting you. And if you can't make it today, we have those every first Sunday at Renewal Church. So they'll be right there in that library. And if you can't make those for some reason, please don't forget to fill out a Connect card because we like to get to know you. We want to get your name, your number, your email. You'll get something from us. You'll hear from one of our staff. And we just want to help you get plugged into our church, help you get connected a little bit. We don't want people to walk into renewal and not feel at home, not feel like this is a space where you can connect and get to know people. So we would love to get to know you a little bit. So fill out one of those connect cards. You can drop them in the offering baskets as they go around, or you can drop it in the basket outside these doors once you leave. But thanks again. Thanks again for being here. My name is Derek Puckett. Again, I'm the lead pastor here at Renewal Church, and it's good to be back. But before we go any further today, y'all, I wanted to be so excited this morning. I wanted to walk in here because I am. I, I'm elated. I'm excited. I'm, I'm amped to be back with the church. I had a birthday yesterday. God just gave me another year. So I'm grateful for another year. But yesterday, as I was celebrating my birthday, you know, I heard about what happened in El, pa- El Paso and... Um, my heart just kind of sank. It was a, you know, I've already been troubled a bit in my spirit, in my heart, just what's happening in our country already. Um, the hatred, racism, everything that's happened with immigration and the border. And you know, it's not about a border security issue. This is about, you know, what's happening to people, people around this country and um, that are seeking better lives and things of that nature. So I don't, I don't think we're arguing about the security of our border. I think everybody agrees on that. But there's bigger issues at stake here. And when I hear about a man, a white male of 21 years old, driving hours out of the way to go shoot Mexicans, my heart hurts. That's just pure evil. And I don't know about you, but there, there, there's something in me, whether you believe in Jesus or not, that hurts. That, that's, not a, that's not something that we look forward to happening. It's not something you want to see. It's not something you want to wake up to. Going back to school, shopping, and you hear shooting, shots just ring off. You don't want to hear that. It's not something you want to walk through. And honestly, I just want to say, too, because we're we a church full of folks that are immigrants, folks that have come from all over the place, folks that are not just white, we're a multi-ethnic church. There's Hispanics here in our church. And I want you to hear me say this, we're with you. We see you, we love you, God loves you too. 
because it's dear to my heart too as a black African-American male in this country, I know all too well what it feels like to feel unsafe, to feel unprotected, to feel as if I'm an outsider in my own country. And we don't want that. So I want you to know that we love you. You're welcomed here. And I was feeling all of this yesterday, and then I woke up this morning as I'm studying for our sermon today, and, and, and I hear about nine other people being killed in Dayton. Your scripture says for us to mourn with those who mourn, and there are folks that are mourning this morning. Some of us in this place are mourning this morning. I'm mourning the loss. I didn't know them, and some of us maybe have lost a loved one, but Scripture says to mourn with those who mourn. So this morning, that's what we need to do. We need to call on Jesus' name. Scripture tells us that the world may not get better, but here's the reality. Christians are still left on this earth because we are to spread of a hope that's bigger than what we see on a day-to-day basis. And that hope doesn't lie in America. That hope lies in Jesus. So this morning, before we go any further, this is what I want to do. I want you all just to bow your heads with me, and I want to pray. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your, your goodness. And someone in here may be saying, I, how am I supposed to believe that God is good with things that are happening like this? God, I pray that you would intervene in our hearts, intervene in the hearts of your people, and let them know that you are still a good God who loves us, a good God who's wanting all folks to fall and come to you. God, you want us You created us with a purpose. You created us in your image. You created us to be with you. So, Father, I pray that as we mourn with those that are mourning, God, I pray that we wouldn't just mourn without hope, that we'd be a people that mourns with hope, a hope to see you one day, to be freed from this earth, freed from the reality of of, of violence, nonsense, all the things that are happening, corruption, the politics, everything that's floating around us, God, that we would keep our eyes on you. And in doing so, God, we would share with a world that needs to know a hope that's bigger than what they see. God, I pray that you would encourage the hearts of your people this morning you encourage my heart that you would challenge us not to see the person that's on the other side of the road figuratively that looks different than us or votes different than us and say well somebody else is going to talk to them but God challenge us and convict us to be the people that would reach across the street that would reach across the line and talk to and spend time with the people we wouldn't normally do so God that's what you did with us we were your enemies God in our sin but you still died Jesus, you came down. So, Lord, let us not get too comfortable in our own places. Because that's not why we're here if we know you, Jesus. We're here to share about you, your love, and your hope. Because one day we'll be with you. So, God, until then, though, let us endure and let us strive and let us press on running this race that you've set before us, sharing with all about you. God, lift us up right now, wherever we are. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together.
Amen. Amen. Family, I want you to hear me now. If you're in a place this morning where you're mourning this or you're hurting, maybe you just had a bad week, I do not want you to leave this place without receiving prayer this morning. The church family, that's what we come together for. We don't come together just to hear a good message and worship with one another, but we come together for fellowship. We come together for community. We come together for hope because the reality is we have to step back out those doors to a real world. So church doesn't stay inside of these four walls. We need to take it out there. And sometimes that reality is hard, so we need each other. So if you need prayer this morning, talk to myself, talk to Pastor Luke, talk to our wives. There will be people around. They have lanyards around their necks. They're there to pray with you. Don't leave this place the same way you came in. We love you and we're with you. Well, today we're going to be getting back into our Sermon on the Mount series. Some of you all probably are new to this, so if you've missed the Sermon on the Mount, you can go back and catch up with us. It's been an awesome series, and our theme has been Christian living in an everyday world. So we've been looking at what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to call myself a Christian, and what, are people, what is God expecting of me? And the Sermon on the Mount lays that out for us. So we're going to be walking through chapter 6 on into chapter 7 here in the fall. And in this, you're going to see Jesus set forth principles for spirituality in religious life. We'll see that in verses 1 through 18 in chapter 6. Then after that, you'll see him set out uh, uh, principles for everyday life in verses 19 through 34 in chapter 6. Lastly, you'll see him talk about community relationships in chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Now, specifically, in the next several weeks... As we look at those things, we're really going to look at verses 1 through 18 in chapter 6 where Jesus gives examples of a person's faith and how it can be expressed in a hypocritical way. Mm. Number one, when we're given to the needy, which we'll look at this morning, verses 2 through 4. Then we'll look at praying next week, verses 5 through 15, and then verses 16 through 18, we'll talk about fasting. Now, before I read the scripture today, chapter 6, specifically, hear me, it, it tends to, as you read it a bit, it tends to feel like you're, you're kind of looking in a mirror and you're seeing yourself. And no, no, it's not the pretty dolled up picture of yourself with the makeup just right and your eyeliner looking right, hairline looking crisp. Some of y'all don't have hairline, so the spray y'all put on it and get it right, y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. But, but it's not that pretty picture you see of yourself in the picture, in, in the mirror. No, no, no. Sometimes the scripture, it, it messes with your heart and it allows you to see that messy picture of yourself, that, that, that self that you don't want everybody else to see, the self that you don't like to see. Y'all ever been there before? You're like, dang, God, you messing with my heart. What, that, that scripture just messed me up. No, it's not always, always hunky-dory when you, when you read the scripture. It messes with you. And it shows you yourself in a way that you might not want to see. So my, my, my prayer is, as we walk through the scripture, is that not only will it humble us, but in doing so, I pray that it would teach us to be more dependent on God who loves us. Amen. With that today, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6. So if you got it, why don't you go ahead and flip to it. And if you are able, won't you stand to your feet with me as we read the word of God together. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. 
If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. Starting in verse 1, the text reads this way. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Very words of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, living without the need of approval. Can you say that with me? Living without the need of approval. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. God, I pray that, that you be in this moment, that you would speak with my mouth, that you think with my mind. God, that your folks would hear a word from you, not from me. We need you, Jesus, this morning. May you be lifted up in this place and simply hide me behind your cross so that you would be seen. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Well, most of you know that... Um, I used to play football, and I was pretty good at it. I went on to play at Indiana University, Big Ten school, a dream that I had growing up, and I ended up playing cornerback for Indiana University, and people tend to come up to me a lot of times, and they say, what happened, man? You were supposed to go to the NFL. You were so great. What happened to you? And I'm looking at them like, man, you, you asking me like I lost my drive or something, like I just quit. I got hurt. It's simple. I got hurt playing football in college. But here's the backstory behind it. Because I dislocated my elbow. It wasn't something, I mean, you think about your elbow. It, it's, it, it moves back and forth, but it's not something that's supposed to pop out of socket. It's not something that's supposed to dislocate. So there's a story behind me getting hurt playing football in college when I dislocated my elbow. And some of us can relate to this because you grew up kind of like me. Most of us grew up like me, where, where when you're growing up as a child, maybe even into high school, and some of us probably still deal with this as adults right now, you always wanted to show people that you could do something. All right? You just like, you didn't just want to show them that you could do it, though. You wanted to be the best. I'm so good, and I want everybody to see that I'm the best at what I can do. I can, I'm the best of the best, right? I mean, even if you're shy, you get a kick out of somebody saying, good job. I mean, it feels good when people approve of something you do, right? If we're honest this morning, y'all going to be honest with me? When somebody says, good job, gives you a pat on the back, you're like, yeah, I did a good job. Thank you. You feel good within your, in, in, inside. I mean, it does something to your butterflies start going. You feel good because somebody approved of what you did. Well, going into my junior year of high school, the story goes, I, I started to dunk a basketball very well. Some of y'all don't believe me. 
Y'all, my hops were off the chain going into my junior year. Some of y'all don't know what hops are. Let me break it down. It's when your calf muscles and your hips and your, your buttocks, they start working together and you're able to jump really high. Y'all follow me? That's what hops are. So I was able to jump really high and I was yamming it. That means dunk. I was dunking so hard like I, like I, I thought I was somebody, y'all. But the problem was nobody actually saw me do it before. I hadn't dunked in a game. I hadn't dunked in a practice. My younger sister's like, I ain't never seen him dunk before. But I was dunking. Only a couple of people had actually seen me do it up until this point. So one day in practice, we're sitting there, and my coach is like, I want to teach y'all this play, and we're going to perfect this play. And it's a simple play. Some of you guys have heard of the backdoor play. But the point guard would take the ball, and he dribbled to the, to the top of the free throw line, one of the top corners to the free throw line, and he would stop there. And then on the opposite side, the forward, there's a cutter. He cut up to the three-point line. He'd make his cut, and he comes back towards the basket. And the point guard sees him, makes a fake here, and throws a perfect pass to the guy who's cutting. He gets the ball, wide open layup if he cuts well. That's the perfect backdoor play. Now, here's the fun part. If the cutter, the forward, can actually jump, oh, boy, it's showtime. Because that means that that point guard is going to see him, and he throws a perfect lob pass to the guy who's cutting, and he just uh, dunks that ball. So one day, in practice, my coach puts this play in and y'all I'm the cutter so the point guard makes his move to the top of the free throw line and y'all I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good I'm like oh yeah my legs are working today I'm not hurting and I go up to the three-point line make my cut and I come back to the basket I'm like no nah, don't give me the bounce pass I go like this I point to the air and that means for a point guard he's gonna throw the ball up he throws a perfect loud pass y'all I grab that ball two hands and I yell like I'm Shaq, knees hitting the rim and everything. I'm excited. And guess what? My whole team rushed the floor, tackled me like I had just won the NBA championship. All I did was dunk the ball. My coach is like, it's over. I've seen enough. Y'all can go home. Y'all, I would be lying if it didn't feel great. I felt all kind of goodness inside because everybody saw me dunk. Everybody approved of me dunking. But the problem is it didn't stop there. See, me being cocky and overconfident, I proceeded to continue to catch these lob passes or alley-oops, if you want to call them, after practice against my coach's wishes. The reason being because I wanted everybody to know what I could do. So my point guard, he lines up, he keeps doing the same play. He's throwing it back and forth to me as I'm running and jumping and I'm dunking it over and over again. And then one time he throws the ball too hard. And instead of letting the ball go, I just speed up. And I run as fast as I can, I jump, I dunk the ball, but my legs keep going. And I don't hold on to the rim, so now I'm flying in the air. I'm, I don't know if I'm upside down or right side up. I'm twisting in the air. I land on my bottom, and I'm looking back at the rim, and the point guard's at the free throw line like, oh, my God. I'm touching my body like I'm alive because I can't believe it. I thought I was going to die. And then I look at my arm, and I can't move it. 
my elbow was up in my tricep. That's the first time I dislocated my elbow. And the doctor told me, if you do this again, you won't be able to play football anymore. Because if you get pushed wrong, it will pop out. If you fall wrong, it'll pop out, and then you won't be able to use your arm. So I went on to play football, get tackled in practice. It really wasn't even a tackle. I just went down to end the play, just a fluke play, and I land like this, tricep again. My elbow is in my tricep, end of my career. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because I don't want you to hear me wrong. Dunking a basketball is exciting. It's off the chain. I look forward to see LeBron dunk the basketball. I'm looking forward to see Zion Williamson dunking that ball. I, I just want to see it happen in a game. It's the best way to see two points scored. I want to see it happen. So there's nothing wrong with dunking in itself. But see, here's the problem. My motors were all jacked up. I wanted people to see me. And hear me, family, hear me. Correct, don't miss this. Correct actions with improper motives almost always end up going bad. Let me say that again. Correct actions with improper motives almost always end up bad. New Testament scholar Craig Bloomberg, he says it this way. Correct actions with improper motives still do not please God. Friends, if we're honest, though, we all struggle with this. We all struggle with this. We, we have all been at that place where we wanted to be noticed, right? We, we wanted to be noticed. We wanted people to see us. We wanted everyone to say, look at me. Look at what I could do. And the problem with that is that it never stops. It never stops. The cycle continues, and it places us in this narcissistic cycle of always thinking about ourselves to the point that everything we do has to come back around to our own good. We don't give money or our time away unless there's a write-off, unless we receive or are heavily involved with someone or something. We don't give our time. We don't give our money. We, don't, we want something in return. If we do something well, we don't feel good unless there's a literal or figurative or monetarily somebody saying good job at the end of it. And what ends up happening, hear me with this, is that un unintentionally, many times, without us even noticing it, our self-worth tends to get caught up in what people think about us. It, 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 it's what they think about me. That's where my hope comes from and here, here's the truth that's hopeless that's depressing because living in a world where everyone in some sense don't miss this thinks about themselves way too much you know who they're not thinking about someone else you me so for us to try to find our approval in someone else y'all that's hopeless it's very hard to find it so what Jesus is getting at in this text, in this scripture, he's talking about giving to the needy. And he's saying that don't give in a way for others to see you, but do so in a, or live in a way that would glorify God. 
In other words, the only one who needs to see your life and approve of it is God. But that's a tall task, isn't it? To, to, for God to approve of my life, to live up to the standard that he set before me. So here's the good news. Here's the good news. Don't miss this. Jesus has already lived the life we were supposed to live. He's already died the death we were supposed to die. He's rose from the grave. And guess what? God has already approved of his life and what he did. So all we have to do is believe, not seek approval. We're working from approval. We've already been approved. So here's the truth. Live in a way, family, hear me, that you seek to honor God and him only in all that you do because you understand what he's done for you. Seeking the approval of people is fleeting. It's fleeting. And God desires for us to live from a place of being approved in him instead of being shackled by seeking or looking for the approval of other people. Now in our passage, Jesus begins by saying, look at it with me, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. This verse serves as a thesis statement to what he's trying to get across to the disciples in verses 1 through 18 of chapter 6. Basically, he's saying righteousness practice or acts of righteousness done to be seen or, or approved by others is not righteousness at all. It's meaningless and it's fleeting, as I mentioned earlier. Now, with this, Jesus is not saying to us that people won't like you or you, don't, you, you won't receive accolades or rewards when you do something good. Because many times when you do something right in society or you do something right by someone else, you do get a reward. You do get noticed. You do get recognized. So family, Jesus is not saying that it's bad to be rewarded. It's a bad thing to receive accolades or recognize. But more so, number one, hear me with this, that that reward, that notice that someone gives you that you receive is not truly going to fulfill you, but instead it's going to leave you wanting more after that. And number two, as I stated before, when someone does something in order to be seen, that's not righteous. That's selfish. That's self-centeredness. So what Jesus does is he further breaks this down, talking about giving to the needy, or in other words, alms, the giving of alms. Now, as I've told you before, if you've been at Renewal for some period of time, you've heard me talk about this, but, but for the believers, there's three different types of giving. And none of these trickle into one another. We're supposed to do all three of them when we give. Now, there's first, there's tithes or first fruits, which is where believers will give 10% of their salary to the church for the furthering of the ministry of what God is doing in the church. Now, I know the New Testament does not say tithe. 
What it does say is be a cheerful or hilarious giver. Now, when you break that down in its original context, what it's actually saying, it's not just saying laugh or be happy when you give. No, it's saying you do something so crazy that you can't help but to laugh because you did. You ever done something so wild? You're like, I can't believe I just did that. Oh, my goodness. Ha, 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 ha. And you're not really laughing. You're hurting on the inside. You're laughing because you're hurting. Y'all laugh, you've done it before. That, that, that's what he's talking about. He said, give so much that you can't help but to laugh about what you gave. Be a hilarious giver. So it really intensifies that whole tide. And here's why. Because if you start giving and you do it regularly and you give 10%, you know what starts to happen? You get used to it. You just start doing it, and you don't even notice it comes out of your account. You're like, I don't even know what credit card that's coming out. I'm just giving it is what it is. I'm paying. And, 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 and here's the problem with that. It's not that you, 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 good job giving, great job. But I'm convicted by this. When I give, I should feel it. I should feel it because it's a small inkling of what Christ felt when he gave it all up on the cross for me. So me to give and not feel it? I'm not saying you're giving it is 10%. You, you might be feeling it at 2%. But when you're giving it, there should be a part of you that's feeling it right now. Because it's a sacrifice. That's what Jesus did when he gave it up for us on the cross. So wherever you are, I tell you to start giving. Work yourself up to 10% and keep going until you're a hilarious giver with what you're doing. Because you're, it's not because the church necessarily has to have your money or anything like that. It's because what Jesus did in your life. And you recognize that. So you want to give so other people can have that same hope. The second way we're called to give is through offerings. Offerings where this is where we give the missionaries, we give the nonprofits, we give the charities, even church projects, et cetera, on down the line. These are not to be confused with your first fruit or your tithe that you give to the church. This is an over and above gift. The last way is alms, which is text mentions. Alms are when you give to the poor. It's when you give to those that are in need. Again, the believer is called to do all three, but first that starts with the church. The reason we start with the church is because the church should, emphasis on should, should do the other two. Now, sadly, churches have not done this throughout history, but as Renewal Church, we want to do that. We want to give offerings. Part of your giving already goes to church planning and people outside of this church. So we want to do that. So if you give to the church, the church should do that. But here's the thing, as individuals, we should also strive to be people that are generous, not only giving our tithe or our first fruits, but give offerings and give alms to the poor. So that's what we're talking. Those are the three different ways that believers are called to give. Now, to the Jews in this context or in this text, almsgiving was the most sacred of all religious duties. Hear me, it was so sacred that Jews use the same word, tzedakah, for both righteousness and almsgiving. To give alms to the poor and to be righteous were one and the same thing. To give alms was to gain merit in the sight of God. It was even to win atonement or forgiveness of past sins. Rabbis even went to the extent of having this saying that went like this, greater is he who gives alms than he who offers all sacrifices. Almsgiving stood first in the catalog of good works. 
taking care of those that were in need. But giving alms, it, hear me, family, it's very important, and it's a righteous deed, but here's the thing. It's all about how one gives the alms. It's all about your motivation, what's driving you to care for those that are in need. And, and, and because here's the thing, true, a true gift, when someone gives a gift, a true gift, you give it without the expectation of getting something in return. That's a true gift. A gift is not, I'm going to give you your birthday present and I better get one on my birthday. Matter of fact, I was thinking about this on my birthday yesterday. I mean, it, it, it would be somebody, it'd be like somebody giving me a gift and be like, and turning around on the same thing, like, where my gift at? It's my birthday. I'm going to cry if I want to. I get to do what I want to. I eat what I want to. I, it's my birthday. I mean, that, you would look at them like they're crazy. And, and some of the best gifts are the ones that you receive. You don't know where they come from. I mean, it's just out of the blue. You weren't expecting it. Those are the best gifts. I, I, let me break this down a little bit. I get to travel a bit. I get to speak to different pastors and different churches. I'm so thankful for that. But one of the best times or the things I love about traveling is that when I open my suitcase. Now, follow me with this. I open my suitcase, and when I'm going through my suitcase or sometimes I'm just brushing my teeth, you know what I find? I find this little letter written from my beautiful wife. It just talks about how much she loves me and she's praying for me and I get all sappy inside. But I don't cry though. No, it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. But those little letters, I mean, they mean so much to me. It's, it's a gift that you, you can't put in, in terms of money. It's a gift that she gives to me and, and, and I'm, I'm excited about it. But here's the thing. She does it without even eliciting a response from me. She doesn't even want the response to me. She does it in secret. She puts it in my bag. I don't even know about it. And here's the thing about it. Sometimes my silly self won't even see the letter until months later when I'm heading out on my next trip and she never says anything. Because it's not about her getting recognition. It was a gift. Now, hear me, that doesn't mean that as a Christian, you don't want anybody to see what you're doing or your, your good deeds. It's not that, because early in the Sermon on the Mount, when you looked at it, if you've been following along with us, Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus in doing, so what he's doing is he's saying that do good works, let people see it, but don't do it in a way for people to just stop at noticing you. When people notice you, they should notice something different about you to which they start asking questions and it further points to someone that's bigger than you where when people see you, they start to look at how you live. They look at how you talk. They look at your community and it makes them want to know God because that's who you know. This means that you live so abnormally good according to the world that it makes folks ask questions. You know why? Because you're living to glorify God and you're not living to glorify yourself. 
You're working from approval instead of seeking the approval of the world. Y'all, let me let you on a, in a secret. That's not normal. The world and everything outside these doors tells you to live for yourself. But God, the God of the Bible, in the scriptures, he says, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It's not about us. Jesus keeps going because as some of y'all, you're not following this. Jesus says in verse 2, because he knew that we would miss it, he says this. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus is simply saying that public acts of obedience are valuable and honorable but if they are done merely for the sake of public recognition, there will be no reward from God. And y'all hear me. The choice between public recognition from people in the world or an eternal reward from God, there's really no competition. I mean, somebody saying, I like you. A lot, I'm thankful for what you've done. You've done a good job. And then God's saying, I will love you for all eternity no matter what you do. There's no competition. The weights are, it's not equal. But sadly, sometimes we put what people think of us and their approval on the same scale as God. And we like to think that they are weighing the same when in reality, there's no competition. They're not equal. Now, this word hypocrite in the text that Jesus used originally referred to Greek actors who wore different masks to play various roles. So in the passage, Jesus is most like referring to the religious leaders of the day. Jesus criticizes the religious leaders, most notably the Pharisees, for a particular type of hypocrisy, which was doing the right things for the wrong reasons. We've all been there. So to give to the needy, was one of those pillars of piety. It was one of the great things in society, but the religious leaders gave to the needy in order to be praised by others. Look at what I did. Look at how I gave to all these people that are in need. Y'all look at the charity I just gave to, and I got my name on a brick roll. So, what else? This is what Jesus is talking about. Now hear me, the tragic irony was that they had already received their reward of public and professional acclaim. They already got their reward, but that was the only reward that they would ever receive. And here's the point. With such fleeting human adulation, it precludes satisfaction of the deep longing of people's heart to stand approved by the Father in heaven who sees in secret. Let me break down what I just said. See, family, deep inside of all of us, is there is this deep longing to be noticed. We want to be noticed. There's this longing to be approved by someone else. There's this longing for acceptance, this longing to be fulfilled. And what happens is that if we don't truly know how much God loves us and all that he's done on our behalf, you know what we start to do? We start to seek those longings of our heart in all the wrong places. Sex, money, drugs, alcohol, marriage, family, kids, politics, school, houses, people, work, image, fitness. The list could go on. You put yours in the list. We look everywhere else for satisfaction 
that we long for and when all along what we're looking for, the satisfaction, the fulfillment that we're looking for can only be found one place and that's in the God who made us. We're all made in his image. Black, yellow, white, Asian, Hispanic, all on down the line. We're all made in his image. He loves us all the same. Which means without believing in Jesus and loving him, we will always long for more than this world can offer because we will not be satisfied. See, in this passage, Jesus is not really just talking about giving alms. But really, the broader premise is how to live a righteous life. And in this instance, it's not about what we give or who we give it to. It's about how we give and what's behind our giving. We have to ask ourselves, do I give to make myself feel better? Or do I give to make God's name glorious? Do I serve so that people will see me? Look at me, I'm, I'm serving in church, I'm serving in this homeless ministry. Look at me, or do we serve for God? Do we give so that we're noticed and get a pat on the back, or do we give to further the ministry of God and further his mission so that his name will be lifted up? Because we know what he did for us. Family, what I'm trying to get at is that righteous giving is not, in about, it's not about how much you give or who it is to. It's about why you give and who it brings glory to. It's a big difference. Jesus keeps going trying to make it plain because he knew that we still would miss it. And he says in verse 4, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, before some of y'all start going crazy, like, how am I going to do that? Like, I don't know how my left hand and my work and my right hand don't work together. Should I tie one behind my back, cut one off? I don't know what I do. Don't think about that. Jesus is not merely saying that you need to hide your actions from yourself. You cannot do that. What he's actually doing right now, he's beating this drum once more and saying that your giving cannot be about you or your own personal reward. Give in a way not to honor yourself, but your father who sees in secret. Now, I know as Jesus has been beating this drum, I've been beating it. You're probably sitting there saying, well, what does that look like, Pastor D? How, how do I give in a way that honors my father in secret and it's not about everybody else looking at me? Have you ever heard of John Wesley before? Some of you guys heard of John Wesley, maybe. John Wesley. John Wesley, if you heard about him, he's a man that most of us would know that helped revive 18th century England and he helped start the Methodist church. But Wesley was also a man that was known for his preaching. In fact, he made large amounts of money in his preaching. A man, a single man in his time, could live comfortably off of about 30 pounds. That's all he needed. But Wesley, at certain points in his ministry, would make upwards of 1,400 pounds. But before that, he was working at Oxford University where he made comfortably that single man salary about 30 pounds a year. He liked to spend his money on brandy. He liked to gamble. He liked to play cards. He liked to do what he liked to do. 
Until one day while he was finishing up paying for his pictures, he's putting pictures all over his wall in his room. He's trying to make it look good for all the people that come in and can say, look at what he has. Look at what he's done. He's finishing paying for these pictures. He's put them on his wall. And the chambermaid comes to the door to deliver the, the last of the pictures. And he notices that all she has is this thin linen gown on. And it's very cold outside. It's cold. It's freezing outside. So his, start, his heart starts to ache. And he reaches in his pocket. And he's trying to get some money for her. And he pulls out the white of his pocket. You see that? He pulls out the white of his pocket because he doesn't have any money to give to this young lady. And many people think at that time is when his life changed because he was convicted to the core that he couldn't give money to this lady that was in need who was freezing but was also serving him. In fact, he said these words. He said, will God be pleased with my spending? Look at these words with me. He says, will thy master say, well done, good and faithful steward? Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money which might have screened this poor creature from the cold. O justice, O mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? As I said, many scholars believe that's the incident that changed his life. So in 1731, he changed the way he managed his money. He limited his finances to what he could live comfortably off, and he gave the rest away. So he figured out that he could live comfortably off 28 pounds. And he'd give the rest away, anything that was over that. So the next year, he made 60 pounds. Y'all do the math with me. He gave 28 away. I mean, he had kept 28, and he gave, come on now, we in a school. He gave 32 away. The next year after that, he made 120 pounds. Kept 28. He gave 92 away. One year he made 1,400 pounds, and guess what he did? He kept 28, and he gave the rest away. Some of y'all gasping for air like now. Oh, my gosh, I cannot believe he did that. Friends, Wesley saw the needs of others and was convicted because with knowing all that God has done for him, all that he did for him in his life, how he saved him from where he was at, he knew that he wasn't honoring God with his spending. So what did he do? He gave. But the question for us this morning is that what do we have to give? How are we honoring God with what we're giving? And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about our time, our talent. What are we giving? Are we, whether we're Christian or not, living like Wesley in the beginning of his life where we're just doing everything we want and everything we please when we want to do it, spending our money how we want to do it, or are we like him in his latter part of his life where God's able to say, good, well done, faithful steward? Could God say that to us right now? See, some of us have been blessed with finances to give. Some of us have amazing talents. Some of us have amazing gifts that we should share with other people. But you know what we do? We just squat on it. We don't share it. We don't love others. It's about us. It's about our 401K and our IRA. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. You should budget your money. But how much is enough? God has called us as believers to give and share our lives with others. But I know the lingering question is, well, why would I do that? 
Why would I give in a way that there's no recognition or no, I'm not going to receive anything in return? Why would I do that? Hear me, friends, because you may have missed it as I've been walking through this passage today. If one truly understands the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that Christ has died for us, he's died the, the death that we deserved on the cross while we were yet enemies of his, which means that there was no guarantee of return on his investment when he dies. And yeah, he knows all that will come to believe, but the reality is he died when we did not believe. He went to the cross not waiting on our approval. He died without us approving. He died when we were far from him. He died when we were yet his enemies. Friends, what this means is that with, to the believer, the believer who truly follows Jesus, one lives a righteous life giving without any expectation of return because Jesus gave it all to us while we were sinners. Now that's tough. And to give in that way, to give of yourself, to give of your time, to give of your talent, to give of your treasure, one has to truly trust God and know him. Friends, let me end with this. Don't live your life in search of approval or recognition of how you live or what you do or what you give. Because as I said before, that cycle, it only grows. It never stops. It never satisfies. It's fleeting. It's fleeting. But instead, let us live in a way that brings honor to God, which means strive to live as Christ did. Hear me, in order to not seek approval or recognition, one has to understand and believe that they have already been approved in Jesus. Then you will be able to give and live freely question we must answer is, do we believe in Jesus? Do we believe? Is his approval enough? Because then and then only we'll be able to live freely and give of ourselves freely. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. We thank you for your goodness. God, I pray that you would just continue to watch over us and keep us in your hands. God, that we be a people that not just give sacrificially of our money, but that we give of our time, we give of our talent. God, to the point where people would see us and say, man, there's something different. There's something about them. I, I want to know them. God, I pray that you would encourage the person right now that may be convicted or may be sitting there saying, that hasn't been me. I haven't been giving of myself. I haven't been serving God with all of my heart. I have been squatting on my gifts. I've been living it all to myself and just trying to honor myself. God, I pray that you would help them realize if they call you Lord and Savior, they're not here just for themselves, but so that others will come to know you through them. God, I pray that you be lifted up in this church, that you continue to do something amazing in renewal that's beyond our own power or control. God, we're just thankful to be a part of this story. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen.
Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Uh-huh.